All right, we're going to do a, I don't know what you'd call it. I'm going to put together a, a couple of parables that we have seen. A lot of times in Scripture, particularly when Jesus is speaking, uh, we talk to you about content. Every little section, uh, you know, in your Bible, they'll give you a heading for this section. Every section has a particular message. It has a content. It has a teaching. And those are important. That's throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament. But sometimes, particularly in Jesus' teaching, he puts teachings together and, and there's an underlying lesson that he wants the people to understand. Not only the people, but his disciples. Because you remember, as I told you, we're in that last year. Jesus has left Galilee. He's gone through Jericho. He's headed to Jerusalem for that last week in his life. And he is just pouring himself into his disciples. And as he teaches the people, he is teaching his disciples. Now, what I'm talking about is when... We were in chapter 9. The last part of chapter 9 talked about what happens if you make a little one stumble. Okay? The term there, little one, does not mean a small child. The Greek there means a new or young believer in Christ. So in one place he's saying to the people, he's saying to disciples... Anyone that makes this young new believer stumble, then there is a punishment that's going to await you because we are not to be stumbling blocks, okay? The only stumbling block a person should have is Christ himself and his teachings. In fact, the Bible says he is a stumbling stone for those who will not Believe. So in that instance, we're not talking about kids. We're simply talking about young new believers. Now, in today's world, I want to throw this in. I hear so many times, God's not fair. Have you ever heard that? This is yes, and this is no. All right, good. I'd like to know you're out there, all right? I'm thinking about getting some little dolls made up. Have you seen them bobblehead dolls? I'm going to get one of them and give them out, and I'm going to put them here, and every once in a while, touch that so y'all will do like this. The the power of of subliminal uh, thinking, okay? God's not fair. Look at that person. Look, I wish me. Or we don't say that we think he's unfair, but sometimes we think we have uh, an advantage over other believers. We we tend to, to fall into that. Like, I've been a Christian since I was three years old. I'm now 80 years old. God is glad to have me in his kingdom. And while we may not say that, we begin to think that because of our longevity, 
because of certain things that we do, that, that we got a little more favor when it comes to heaven. Well, this is the underlining teaching. And, and we're going to read a parable in a minute that Jesus said. And if, if you're thinking in a worldly manner, you're going to think God's just not fair. But he is. Let me, this is not a new concept. In the book of Ezekiel, when the children of Israel were in captivity, Ezekiel was one of the prophets that ministered to them. And here's a message that is throughout Ezekiel. Uh, in the 18th chapter, it said, What do the people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Egypt? Now, that's not a question like God is saying, Why are they doing this? That's not the question. The question is, kind of like when your mama caught you doing something and she said, why are you doing this? She knows what you've done. She just wants to understand why you would do that. So that's the context of this question. Why are you saying this proverb? The proverb is the parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are on edge. What that simply means is this. Parents have sinned, and so the children, those and the children of Israel were talking about themselves. Their parents had sinned, and they were stuck with the consequences. Uh, We're living in a society when it is always got to be somebody's fault for something happening. It's got to be a fault. If they didn't do what they did, I would not have done what I do. That's something that prevails in society. And in the church, it's absolutely devil. It's of the devil. It, it kills, okay? God saying, how come they're saying that? It says, as surely as I live, declares the solemn Lord, you shall never, no longer quote this uh, proverb in Israel. For everyone belongs to me, the parent as well as the child, both alike to me. And then God says this, the one that sins is the one who will die. Every person carries their own weight of sin. Every person is born with that sinful nature. We stand the brunt. It's not, we're not going to be able to stand. And I, uh, listen, we may think in judgment, we're going to make a case to God why we should be somewhere and why we should have certain things. When you stand before absolute truth, no one is going to make an argument. But in our minds, it's somebody else's fault. He goes down a little further and he says this, yet you say the way of the Lord is not just. Hear you, Israelites, is my way unjust? It is not your ways. Is it not your ways that are unjust? And again, he says, yet Israel will say, the way of the Lord is not just. Are my ways unjust, people of Israel? It is not, is it not your ways? The absolute responsibility of an individual where their relationship with Jesus Christ is concerned. That's called accountability. It's something we don't practice. We don't even hear anybody talking about today. 
It's always somebody's fault. And, and I find it amazing. They're rewriting history to prove that it's somebody else's fault. So we, nothing really changes. We just have a bunch of, of young people who graduate from school who have no concept of what real history is. That is kind of like the background. Okay? Y'all ready to go? This is, yes. Okay. We're going to look at children, which is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. Mark 10. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked him. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. In this reference, the Greek word means an unborn child. It means a infant, it means a very young child. So here is where it's talking about little children. And there's a picture here that I want to kind of add and always like to give you something extra, doesn't cost any more. I want you to look at the actions of Jesus. He took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them and blessed them. If you want to Find out the power of touch. Talk to an OB nurse, a nurse that works where children are born. And they will tell you many times they will have a child that is abandoned by their mother or a child that's going to be put up for adoption. But that child will not have anyone for that nurse to pick up and carry into the room for that mother to hold. And they will tell you that there is a difference in the growth and the alertness of a child who has been cuddled, a child who has been touched, than that child that has lain by himself. Do you realize, folks, we're living and we have a a lost generation We have a a generation of children that instead of being trusting, instead of being uh, calm, instead of just being those adorable, cuddly things they were when they were born. When they get up to about four or five, there is a frustration in that life. I think part of that is because 21% of the homes in the United States have a one-parent home and there's not a lot of time for any type of love or cuddling. Jesus took them in his arms. He touched them. The power of children. Uh, <clears throat> listen, I want to tell you something, and I love this. Over the years, you don't know the dry cleaning bills that I've had from being in church and little kids with sticky fingers coming and grabbing my pants. And I absolutely love it. 
Because every time there's a clingy child, it tells me that child is not being shown love. We can't continue to lose another generation. We will protest. We will argue. We will shout and scream, rightly so, that an unborn child is valuable. But I want to tell you something. They do not become invaluable when they are born. And so what do we need to do? I think a lot of it falls on the body of Christ. You know, I hear, uh, I've heard churches say, you know, well, people expect us to, to make their kids good and we'll send them to school so they'll get educated and the parents won't do anything. I want to tell you something. That might, that's not right, okay? But here's the thing. The body of Christ was created to reach out to people who had no one to reach out to. That's our call. And if you want to see something special, you go down to our children's department. You watch our children's workers. They love those children by touching those children. And I tell you what, one of the hardest places to get anybody back to is the children's department. But I'm going to tell you, the most worthwhile work you can do in the body of Christ is to work with children. And when you see children, take time to speak to them. I see them all the time walking around here, particularly on the weekends. And there were some children who just walked straight ahead. They walk left or the right. These are the children that need somebody to take the time. Because you know what they grow up to? They grow up to adults who are living their life dying for a physical touch. Because we're living in an environment where we're telling everybody to be afraid and stay home and isolate. For two stinking years, we've heard that. People need love. And people need human touch. And it begins with children. Take time to speak, to shake hands. I get in trouble. I'm just going to make a confession. In my family... I kissed my father to the day he died, and he kissed me. That's how we express love. We were Cajun from Louisiana. We hugged each other. We loved each other. And so my natural reaction is to put my arms around somebody. And in today's environment, people get mad about that. And I don't want to get in anybody's space. But I, you know, it's like you take a Cajun's hands in time, they can't talk. It's hard to show affection without touching. And I'm going to tell you, it's time that the church stopped being afraid and began to show the love of God that is in us that so many people need. That's the end of that sermon. It won't, won't cost no extra offering. Okay? Here's the key to what Jesus was saying. The kingdom of heaven is made up of these. What can a young kid do to earn salvation? Nothing. Because if you say to them, you're a sinner, most of them it's like, really? 
They, there's no concept when they're young. Oh, and don't get me wrong. They're not without sin. They're vipers and diapers. And if you don't believe that, have a child and right out of the hospital, it's got a watch and at two o'clock they're going to scream. And then they'll keep you up the rest of the night. Moms and dads walk around looking haggard, right? I mean, children, we are all born with a sinful nature. Children have not been aware of that concept. So what could they do to earn eternal life? You say, preacher, that's a stupid question. Well, in this series of parables, the next parable up is about a young man, a rich young ruler, who tells Jesus, I've done everything perfect from my youth. What more must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I punch the ticket to get into heaven. I called him the selfish seeker last week because that's what he was looking for, how to get in to heaven. See, you've got to put that parable next to the parable of the little children and Jesus because Jesus is giving you a hint. All of these small children, they are the substance of the kingdom of heaven. And he's showing his disciples this. Well, here's the third parable. For whatever reason, Mark didn't record it. So you've got to go to Matthew 20, okay? In Matthew 20, we have that one of the other parables that begin to go into a flow. Okay, And it is about God's impartiality. Now, before we get to the parable and we read it, I want to tell you what this parable is not about. Okay, In 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, this is not what the... Do we have that back there, William? I can find it if we don't. Oh, Paul is writing, and he said, If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, and their work will be shown for what it is. Because on the day, the day, day of judgment, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Understand this. Your salvation is not tested. It's the work. What have you done with the new life in Christ that he gave you? It'll be revealed with fire. Fire will test the quality of each person's work. And it will be... and. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. Even though only as one escaping the flames. I've heard people make a stupid statement. And I'm sorry if I 
I say the word stupid, but this is a stupid statement. I don't care if I get into heaven with my britches singed. I don't think you're really thinking about heaven. And that shows a lot of what we really believe about Jesus Christ. It shows a lot about what we believe is important in this world. We work ourselves into high blusher, heart attacks, all kind of stressful situation in order to earn money and have things that one day is going up in smoke. Nothing will survive this earth but the Word of God and those who have embraced that Word. So everything here is like poof. This is talking about the works that we have done. There's a reward. We're not going to get into the message on these rewards. But I assure you that there will be no ego. There will be no arrogance. And there will be no one that walks around saying, I got a better reward than you. Many people believe that the only neighborhood you guys in a Christian church will be in is the Christian church. Uh, neighborhood. Where are you going to live? I got news for you. You may have a Baptist next door to you. You don't know. Because in heaven, it is not the individual. It is the body of Christ coming together. All right. So that's not what I'm fixing to read to you. Okay. Matthew chapter 19, uh, verse 30. Did I say 20 while ago? I'm like, Ray, I can't remember nothing. Actually, it's, it's uh, Matthew, nine, uh, Matthew 20. <laughs> Boy, did I pull that on the boys in the back. I'll hear from it. Here's the parable. Again, Jesus uses the word, the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay? He's making a reference. He said, little children are the makeup. Of heaven. Here the kingdom of heaven is like an, a landowner, Jesus, who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Hold that. The Jewish work day was from six to six. Okay? So he went out at six o'clock to have more workers because chances are he had a few servants, but, uh, and I've seen these in just about every town I've lived. There's a place, a corner, where men who need work, untrained men, but men who need work, you can go there and hire them, and they'll work for the day. That's where he went at 6 o'clock. Workers for his vineyard. We don't know what he was going to be doing, but that's why I need him. All right? He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. A denarius is a day's wages for a worker, but when you do the results on it, it's a very good wage. Considering their training, that denarius is a good wage, okay? Sentiment. About that, nine in the morning, we went six, nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. They weren't doing anything because they were vagrants. They were not doing anything because no one had come and call them, okay? He told them, you also go to work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you for whatever is right. So they went, and he went out again at noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. 
about five, one hour before quitting time, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing around here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us. No one has called us. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them for their wages. In Israel, this was the way they worked. Because most often, when that, when the laborer worked, what he worked for that day put food on the table that night and the next day. So workers were paid at the end of the day. He said, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first, get in with this. All these people were gathered, 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 12, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, all of them waiting to get their pay. The workers who were hired at 5 in the afternoon came, and each one received a denarius. One denarius for one hour's work. Okay? The work, so when those who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Can you get this picture? The guys that worked there for an hour probably didn't even work up a big sweat. And so the first ones that were hired are going, yes, this is our lucky day. We get more. They expected it. But each one of them also received a Daenerys. But when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered, but just as Jesus, the landowner, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. When you look in your Bible, that last statement comes to you in before the other parables that I read to you comes. Now, have you got the picture? If you got your carnal mindset on this morning, you're going to say, boy, that wasn't fair. Those guys worked 12 hours and only got a Daenerys. The answer was, didn't I promise you a Daenerys for 12 hours work? And you said yes. You know, when somebody grumbles, the very heart of grumbling is jealousy. That's the whole heart of it. That's the heart of what we saw here. If you equate this and don't equate working in order to get into heaven, 
okay? Because the guys at the last basically received a gift. Jesus has given a series of parables showing the negative and showing the positive of what is the kingdom of heaven. The first thing we need to understand and begin to operate under is this. Almighty God is sovereign. Almighty God is creator. Almighty God can do anything he wants, any time he wants, and it will always be right. When you move off of that, you are moving into a false gospel. And yet we hear that all the time. I've done all of this work. And this is the things that I get. Remember what I told you was one of my favorite parables? When the servants have made the dinner and set it before their master, he doesn't say thank you. Because the servants themselves say, we have only done what we are supposed to do. You see, the weakness of theology today is removing God off of the throne of being sovereign creator God and bringing him down and trying to refit him as a God that we like better. And it's obvious that that's working in many stations because you're seeing all types of explosion going on in many churches. And when you look at that explosion, it's very short-lived simply because they are coming in under a different gospel. Signing a card won't get you into heaven. Okay? Being baptized won't get you into heaven. What gets you in heaven is responding to the call of Jesus Christ. And heaven is the best. The, I love this scripture in Romans 8.32. He, God, who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? It's not like there's going to be the heavens for the middle class, and those are the people that did a little bit of work, uh, a heaven for the upper class that have been Christians longer and maybe served harder, and then the slums where people who just got saved or people who didn't do very much are going to live. How do you improve on heaven being with Christ for an eternity. You don't. Heaven is the reward for itself. In heaven, we're going to realize all of the stuff that we've thought is important is filthy rags. Because Jesus said, the best that we do for our master, he looks at it like filthy rags before the throne of God. Why did he say that? Okay, here's the deal. What can you do that will equal the offer and the giving of the Son of God for your salvation? Anything? It doesn't even compete. 
The kingdom of heaven is made up of those who simply believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and were saved. God sovereignly initiates salvation. God alone initiates the terms of salvation. God continues to call mankind. God redeems everyone who is willing. God is compassionate to those who have no resources and acknowledged need. Those children are the ones who is in need. And yet, that's the makeup. You know what's a blessed teaching? This tells you that when a child is, dies in the womb, or a child who dies, before they come to a knowledge of the sin in their life, is in heaven today. That's wonderful thought for me. I think I've told you I preached my first message. And on Monday, we had a son born, lived 20 minutes. God called him back home. I know that one day when I reach heaven, I'm going to see that boy. And I'm going to recognize him. That's the blessedness of the sovereignty of God. Last thing this this teaches is this. It's never too late. I led a 93-year-old man to the Lord on what turned out to be his deathbed a couple hours later. And it kind of reminded me of the thief on the cross. Thief on the cross never tithed. Thief on the cross never went to church. Thief on the cross never served. But the heaven he's enjoying right now is the same heaven that Paul, Peter, and the folks we put on pedestals, the same one they are enjoying and the same one we're going to enjoy. Let me leave you with this. It's not too late. If you don't know for sure that when you leave this life, you'll be in the presence of Jesus, we're going to have people here. We're going to have ladies here. You come. You talk. People will pray with you. If you want to speak to one of them in private, in room three, our counselors will be there. But if you don't know for sure, you're gambling with something you're going to lose with. You see, it's like this. Sin is a great equalizer. All of sin comes short of the glory of life of God. But grace is the great equalizer. It removes all the sins and makes every believer equal in the sight of God. Father, today, thank you for the word. Thank you for the power of the word. And I pray today as you examine hearts and as you call, don't let anybody pass this opportunity up to know Jesus. If someone is online, Father, may they reach out to that help, the I have decided button. Lord, this is too good, too important to pass by. In Christ's name, amen.